listening to 60-Minute Overtime with your host, Coach Danielle McCartan. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is 60-Minute Overtime fall episode, uh, final episode of 2016. Uh, for me, anyway, this is episode 11. Today is December 18, 2016. Uh, I'm your host, Danielle McCartan. We have uh, lots of people checking us out already. I'm streaming live on Periscope at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N and Facebook Live. So, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, same spelling. Uh, we got today's guests are going to be on today. We have Francisco Cervelli, who is the Pittsburgh Pirates catcher and catcher for Team Italy for the 2017 World Baseball Classic. Also, we have Chris Colabello. Toronto Blue Jays first baseman and outfielder, current first baseman for the Team Italy of the 2017 World Baseball Classic. Um, so those are today's guests for today. Lots of debatable topics. Hopefully some people will be discussing on the uh, on the feeds here, on the phones. The feeds and the phones. And if you don't know it already, here's the number to call in. Got something to say? Call the studio. 201-825-1234. Also, you guys can find my work, www.prosportsrundown.com. That's my site. Twitter, at Coach McCartan. YouTube, search Coach Space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. And an iTunes podcast. Get delivered directly to your phone. Coach Space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Now on TuneIn Radio as well. All you have to do, it's an app on your phone. You can take me anywhere. You can play me through your Sonos system. Type in 60 space minute space overtime. Okay, so like I said, today's guest, Francisco Cervelli, uh, Chris Colabello. Uh, what the F news of the day? I'll preview the topics. Hopefully one, or, one of them rings true for you today. You have an opinion. Uh, first, the International Olympic Committee officially recognizes cheerleading as a sport. Uh, second, oh, my phone just fell. Is that Batman? Someone just said, yes, this is Batman. I'm wearing a Batman t-shirt today. Uh, number two, Rex Ryan is likely to be fired, uh, definitely by the end of the season. Tom Coughlin was also fired, but both GMs are going to be kept. Is that fair or unfair? Number three, Patriots claim wide receiver Michael Floyd from the Arizona Cardinals. Why is that a what the F news of the day? Because the guy was found drunk in his car at an intersection in Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay, so what are your opinions on that? As soon as the Arizona Cardinals let him go, the New England Patriots picked him up. Uh, then, hot topics of the day. We'll run down. Uh, this is uh, brought to you by BackSportsPage.com. Uh, I contributed to, to all of these. Uh, Friday, should student-athletes receive compensation during their respective seasons? Uh, Saturday's question was, do off-the-field and court issues gain too much attention? Sunday, what is considered a sports dynasty in today's sports world? Uh, and tomorrow's question, I'll give you a little sneak preview. Tomorrow's question is, are you interested more in sports reality type shows like Hard Knocks? So once we get through that, I'll go through today's, uh, I mean, this this week's events that I had gone to, Yogi Berra Museum, uh, play some of those uh, interviews from the Mint Pros Team Italy thing. Uh, New York Jets played on Saturday Night Football, as you know. I'll have some analysis, although I didn't get to watch the entire game. Um, I did get to watch a little bit of it. I'll give you my analysis and my thoughts on that and the future of the New York Jets. 
And finally, we'll wrap up today with the Detroit Lions at New York Giants. It's a 1 p.m. game from MetLife Stadium. It's on Fox. Uh, we will talk of uh, keys to the game for both the Giants and for the Lions. Keys to victory for both teams. How are they going to win this game? I'll give you my, my score prediction and my lock of the week this week. As you know, I'm still in that pool. I'm still in it for the $500. And uh, I'll give you my lock of the week this week. And uh, let's do it. So uh, what the app news of the day, number one, the International Olympic Committee officially recognizes cheerleading as a sport. They will have three years to compete in the IOC programs, and then they can apply to become an official Olympic sport. So I looked up this morning the Oxford Dictionary's definition of the word sport. And it said that a sport is an activity involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. Cheerleading, I think, does fit that definition. However, I do not believe that cheerleading is a sport. It's an activity. I should have looked up what activity meant on the Oxford Dictionary. Uh, but in my opinion... Cheerleading is not a sport. How could it be? How could it be? You are, uh, cheerleading is an antecedent to the actual sport that's going on. So an activity, here it is, Oxford Dictionary, the definition of activity is a condition in which uh, things are happening or being done. No, that's not what I need. Busy or, <laughs> busy or vigorous action or movement. <laughs> Okay, that defines cheerleading for me. <laughs> Busy or vigorous action or movement. Uh, so I think cheerleading is just the antecedent to the actual sport that's going on. It's in the background. So, you know, how could, okay, let's, be, let's actually take back, you know, step back and think that cheerleading does actually become an Olympic sport. And we're watching swimming and fencing and skiing and, and baseball and soccer and then there's a cheerleading how do you determine who is a gold medal cheerleader or even a cheerleading team someone just said you're just jealous because they can do a cartwheel i can too does that make me a gold medal winning cheerleader or silver medal i mean how do we how do we how do we determine this who, who's a gold medal who's a silver medal who's a bronze medal who doesn't medal how does that how is that going to work or, or I, I assume it's going to be something along the lines of uh, like in, like in gymnastics where they have a panel and they give scores based on you know a couple different critiquing things but will, will they take into consideration the noise decibels of the crowd you get it because cheerleading you're supposed to lead the crowd in cheers so will the louder cheers determine help determine who's the medal winners and who are who who ranks where <laughs> i don't know because in my opinion you know you have competition cheerleading and then like football cheerleading at the high school level is very different uh you could say that competition cheerleading is a little uh i don't know more intensive but to me that's almost gymnastics so why can't you just take the best cheerleaders, in your opinion, and put them into a gymnastics program or some sort of something. I, I just don't agree with this. I think the International Olympic Committee is making a huge mistake in in even allowing cheerleading to become an international sport. Also, 
we think about it here in America. What about in the world? Do they have cheerleaders in the world? I mean, they don't have cheerleaders for soccer games, I don't think. So is just this just the, an American-dominated uh, sports slash activity? Uncle Leo says it opens a big can of worms with that definition. Yes. Colleges give out scholarships for this. I don't understand how. How? What are their what are their qualifications? How do you receive? How would does one receive? If anybody has the answer out there, how does one receive a scholarship to college for cheerleading? Someone, enlighten me because I just don't I, I don't understand. I don't understand. Technique? I mean Really? Second what the F news of the day, Rex Ryan, everybody's likely to be fired. Uh, what's his name? Adam Schefter, whatever his name is, tweeted that out <laughs> overnight. Uh, so Rex Ryan likely to be fired at the end of this season. And Tom Coughlin fired at the end of last season. The constant in that is that both GMs were kept. Both general managers were kept. So let's just look at this. The Bills general manager is involved in Buffalo in hiring and firing coaches, or at least the hiring part. The guy's been there since 2013, I believe. So he's had three head coach hires in three years. Three head coaches in three years, three different ones. That's not impressive to me. And uh, they're, they're pointing out that the Bills have not made the playoffs, I think I've read, since 1999. Well, you know, look at the division they're playing in, okay? So uh, I disagree with the firing of Rex Ryan after one only one season. I do. I also disagreed way back when, at the end, this time last season, basically, when uh, Tom Coughlin got the boot out of the Meadowlands. Yet they retained... General Manager Jerry Reese. So, see, listen, I'm a coach, too, because you can only, yeah, how do I say this? You can only do the best with what you're given, talent-wise, because I'm a coach, too. I've seen it. I have, I played a JV schedule, and I had eight freshmen on my roster this year for softball. So I made the best with what I had, basically. And and that's what you do in any situation, right? So I believe that Rex Ryan and and cuz you look at Tyrod Taylor, they 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 don't have a quarterback up in Buffalo. Uh they don't have uh my my chat just disappeared on Facebook live. Um they don't have a quarterback up in Buffalo. The Giants were in trouble last year, too. They didn't have a defense. The Giants had a Swiss cheese defense. Yet both of these guys are, are, are going. Yet the general managers who put the team on the field are the ones that are staying. And for me, that's, um, that's not acceptable. For me, I think if you're letting the head coach go, you also should be letting the general manager who put the team together, who was involved in the draft, if the head coach goes, so should the general manager. Because the head coach is just making do with what he has. The general manager, in, in my opinion, has more of a responsibility for that team that, that's put out onto the field. 
So I got the Facebook live comments rolling back up. All right, so shoot them to me. But as someone just said on, on Periscope, I think you have a good point. I think I do too. Because it's a team effort. If Jerry Reese is putting the team onto the field that Tom Coughlin is trying to win with, and they're not winning, well, then actually it should be Jerry Reese that gets to go. So I, I, I'm not so well-versed in, in the Buffalo Bills situation, but I am pretty well-versed in the Giants situation. So the Giants let Tom Coughlin go. Tom Coughlin, who's won two Super Bowls with the Giants in, like, recent memory. Okay, we're going to talk about sports dynasties. That might be one of them. So they let him go. Ben McAdoo gets the promotion from offensive coordinator to head coach now. You know, currently in this season. And in the meantime, Jerry Reese gets to spend over $200 million in free agent signings this offseason. The Giants are now a strong playoff contender. Janoris Jenkins has been worth every single penny they paid him. Uh, the corner for the Giants. Um, but it makes me wonder, though, you know, with Ben McAdoo, first-year coach, the Giants are strong playoff contenders. I think they have the fifth seed right now. They've wrapped up pretty much the, all but wrapped up, we'll say, the wild card slot. If Tom Coughlin got to coach this expensive team now with a, a defense, would they also be a, a playoff team, a Super Bowl contender, a number one seed? We don't know. We'll never know. But I could probably make a good guess. I could probably make a really good guess. I think if Tom Coughlin was coaching this Giants team this year, the, the Giants would have the NFC East wrapped up. And that's what I think. I think Ben McAdoo is doing a fine job. He is. But I think Tom Coughlin would have done a better job. Especially given the money that Jerry Reese spent in the offseason. And the move that he made uh, to acquire Eli Apple in the draft. Which I was 100% for. You can go back on all the tapes. Eli Apple was a perfect fit for the New York Giants. So my question to you is, anybody listening, if, if, if the head coaches are fired, should the GMs go with them too? Should just the head coach go or should just the GM go? Okay. So uh, this comes off of news that like, Rex Ryan is likely to be fired up in Buffalo after one season. Number three, what the F news of the day. Uh, in terms of, uh, let's see, quality control of the NFL, I mentioned it before. The Patriots have claimed wide receiver Michael Floyd from the Arizona Cardinals. Fresh off, he's a DUI. And I'll talk about that in a second. But listen, this guy's 27 years old. He had a DUI in 2011 at Notre Dame. And on Monday, Monday night, or really Tuesday morning, I guess it was. Actually, I don't know. I should look that up. I'm not sure. Uh, but he was found at 2.58 a.m. He was found sleeping behind the wheel of his car at an intersection in Scottsdale, Arizona. He was charged with two counts of DUI and one count of obstructing a roadway and failure to obey a police officer. This was at 2.48 a.m. Someone just said, Pats make all the receivers great again. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the Cardinals let him go. 
as they should have. And the Cardinals, if you don't know, have one of the strictest behavior codes in the entire league. What are they supposed to do? They're going to keep a guy like this with the with their, their code of conduct? They're going to keep a guy like this on their roster? The guy's a good player. No, they did the right thing. They let him go. Patriots picked him up. Like the trash that he is. The Patriots picked him up, right? Chris Carter tweeted. Chris Carter, you know, is a Vikings uh, guy. He's a Vikings Hall of Fame wide receiver. He, he tweets that the Patriots got better. In, it's hard to get better in December, and the Patriots did get better in December with picking Michael Floyd up. So this guy, who was found drunk behind his car, sleeping at an intersection, not even in his driveway or something, at an intersection, a danger to other people, gets paid through the end of this season. He's going to make $1.2 million more dollars. He'll finish out the year. And they said this morning that discipline from the league will come in the offseason, pending blood test results. What? Pending blood test results? How long does that take to get those back? A week, maybe? How long does that really take? Then, then, the kicker in all of this. See, the Patriots know what they're doing. I mean, props to them, I guess, in a way. So the guy's slated to become a free agent at the end of the season. He's going to ride out with the Patriots through the rest of the year, right? At the end of the season, he's a free agent. If he signs elsewhere, other than the Patriots at the end of this season, the Patriots are going to receive a compensatory draft pick. They're getting a draft pick if this guy signs somewhere else. That's insanity. That's insanity. Can anybody please make sense of that for me? This is the same with all of these guys that get into trouble. Someone said, how much of the Pat system can he learn from this late, though? So, you know what? With Tom Brady and with Bill Belichick, they have a system. It doesn't matter. I talked about this last week. It doesn't matter who you are. You go into their system... And you're effective. It's it's the system, systematic, not per player. So, Bill Check has is a disciple of Parcells, and Parcells is a god. Oh yeah, yeah. This is the same story with all these guys that get into trouble. Why do these guys get to deserve to be picked up by other teams? This is the same you think of. I thought of immediately Sheldon Richardson. All the problems he's had with the police. Plaxico Burris, you all know that story. He shoots himself in the leg. Why are you carrying a gun into a club? I mean, you could take your pick with any of these guys. But I know, and I'm sure all of you guys listening and watching out there, if I get caught sleeping behind a wheel drunk at an intersection in the town that I, I work in, I lose my job. And so should these guys. Kids look up to these guys. And the other question I have is, for the NFL, are they helping any of these guys with their off-field off issues? Are they putting them into uh, drug counseling programs in, in AA? Doubtful. Because this guy is a repeat offender. He's a repeat offender. So he's going to you know, be on the straight and narrow with the Patriots, obviously auditioning for his next job saying and then he'll come out and say it was a mistake and blah 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 and blah 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 then he'll be off he's gonna cash in on this suspension and fines. someone just said okay fines you think fines are an effective penalty these, this guy's making 1.2 million dollars they're gonna find him what ten thousand dollars come on that's nothing 
That's nothing for it's a pair of shoes for these guys. It's a pair of shoes. You've seen the NFL is imposing these ridiculous fines from from for celebrating touchdowns too 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 much. I mean, the one guy I forget who it was, but he was fined forty eight thousand dollars in one game. They don't care. They continue to do it. So fining is not the answer. Suspension. Exile from the league until they complete a behavior program. Look at Ray Rice. Complete a behavior program. And then, with that certificate, you are allowed to come back in. You should be suspended without pay. And the NFL is so lackadaisical on this and wishy-washy on this and that. You saw it with the Giants. They're getting in trouble for having uh, uh, walkie-talkies on the sideline. Well, the Browns almost did the exact same thing, almost. It was just a phone call, actually, just one phone call. The Giants were using it the entire game. But the Browns got one phone call and a draft pick taken away. Each step of behavior modification is also set by the collective bargaining agreement. Okay, so what does that mean in terms of uh, uh, these guys go into programs? Is this Michael Floyd in a program, an Alcoholics Anonymous program? Because that's pretty bad. That's just not going out on a weekend celebrating a win or something. That's pretty bad. So uh, Uncle Leo just said that these guys are coddled since high school. They don't know the rules. And money, money talks. Well, if, if Roger Goodell is really trying to clean up the league and blah, 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 don't you think that a guy falling asleep drunk behind a wheel of his car at an intersection is much worse than Odell Beckham? Kicking a, a, a kicking net on the sideline, which he was also fined for. Don't you think? Number is 201-825-1234. Those are my what the F stories of the day. Talk about any or all of them. Cheerleading might become an Olympic sport. Rex Ryan likely to be fired. Tom Coughlin fired, but, but GMs are kept. Why? Patriots claim Michael Floyd off the Arizona Cardinals, the drunk that he is. Okay, so let's get into hot topics of the day. Brought to you by BackSportsPage.com. Friday's question was, should student athletes receive compensation during their respective seasons? And I guess that, that I took that to mean uh, college football athletes, um, student athletes, because I guess that didn't mean high school athletes, but college athletes, should they receive compensation? No. No, they shouldn't receive any compensation. I'll tell you why. Because a, a free college education isn't good enough? I know I'm still paying my bills from this great institution where I'm broadcasting from right now. I've been paying them monthly, over the monthly payment, for uh, 21, for, for eight years now. They should not get paid for this. Their education is well enough. And these guys, you know, don't always take advantage of their education that they're given at these schools. You know that. You've seen the stories where, where the, the tutors are, are basically writing the papers for these guys. It's been it's well exposed. It's well documented. So a college education isn't good enough for these guys. They want to get paid on top of it. Okay, someone's really yelling at me on Periscope. Listen, I can see the other side of this. Yes, they are. They, they are being exploited, yes, they are. But guess what? Here's the, here's the rule change. Yeah, 201-825-1234, would love to talk to you. Here's the, here, here's the other side of this issue, okay? 
Schools are making money off these kids. Schools are making millions off of these kids. My solution is this. Allow them to sign autographs, sell their merchandise while they are still playing. So they can profit individually from it. Johnny Manziel got in trouble for it. So no, they shouldn't receive compensation during their respective seasons. Their education is enough. And who, who, who's going to pay them? The college won't pay them. The university won't pay them. So, although the, the schools are making money off of these kids, you, they, the, the rule has to change. I disagree with them being paid on top of the free education that they're receiving completely. But they should allow them to, you know, do other things. They're restricted. They cannot sign autographs uh, and sell it for profit. Okay, change that rule. Or, or maybe if if they graduate with a certain GPA, then they could receive a bonus. Why don't you make it academic based instead of sports based? But it, it, you know, I'm just trying to think of alternatives. In my hard and steadfast opinion, these guys should not be getting paid. No reason to pay these guys. Because then it becomes, the recruiting becomes, well, the bigger schools can attract these guys because they have more money. And you see Chris Hogan coming from uh, from Monmouth University. If, if Chris Hogan, who plays for the Patriots right now, if Chris Hogan gets paid, you know, X amount of dollars from, uh, from Monmouth, although, you know, it could be a good program, a perfect fit for him, perfect academically, yet Rutgers can pay him more. And it might not be the best fit. Well, which one do you think he's going to take? We just talked about this. Money talks. I'm going to go with whatever school pays me more money, regardless of the fact that I may or may not fit in academically there. I may or may not fit in with their football program. I might be a fifth string running back at Rutgers getting paid $20 million, just say. Yet I could be playing at Monmouth getting paid $10,000. Which would you rather? I'm taking the money. I think you'd be dumb not to. So no, student athletes should not receive compensation during their seasons. Someone said they should get a stipend, housing, education, and they should be paid if their image is used for profit. Okay, fine, but they already get most of that. They already get most of that. I'm sure they live for free. I'm sure they eat for free. They, you know, these guys. I mean, if you've been in a big school, anybody that I've talked to that's been in a big school with any of these NFL players in their classes, they sit in the back and they do nothing, even if they do show up. When the school sells their jersey, they should get a percentage. Okay, fine. But do you know that they sell jerseys without the players' names on them in college? Right? So there's a, there's a different way to rework this, but physically handing them a paycheck to play college football, basketball, volleyball, whatever it is, handing them a paycheck is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So if you want to call in on that, 201-825-1234, there's a very lively discussion going on on Periscope. People are fighting with each other on there. Uh, and then, yeah, another stipulation is to play all four years. Yeah. Okay, what about um, Saturday's question of the day on BackSportsPage.com? Do off-the-field or off-the-court issues gain too much attention? Yes, 
Yes, they do. However, both positive and negative, it comes with the territory. Public figures, regardless of their profession, from teachers to the President of the United States, are subject to scrutiny from the public, especially when perpetuated via social media. Come on. Professional athletes are included in that spectrum from teacher to president. Athletes are in that. They must understand this and they must utilize their role appropriately. Some fans clamor to know everything about their favorite or most hated athlete outside of the sport and will believe anything they read about those athletes and believe it. Knowing this, to entice people to click on their articles, writers sometimes make off the court or off the field issues out to be bigger than they are. So yes, they do gain too much attention, but these players should know that and they should capitalize on that. These players should use their platform for good. And in that way, they'd have a positive impact on the people that follow them. Am I right or am I right? So we're still continuing uh, the conversation. Someone said it's it's not a game or privilege that you must graduate to. Yeah, of course you should. You should have to graduate. Yes, you should have to graduate with a degree. There's there's many things that we can look at in terms of, of college athletes and payment and non-payment and, and this and that. So uh, Sunday's question of the day is what's considered a sports dynasty in today's world? I made my own definition. I did not look this up. Do you want to hear my own definition? A sports dynasty. I wrote noun. A team with a perennial core set of players and or coaches that wins consecutive or almost consecutive championships. I'll read that again. That's my definition of a sports dynasty. A team, noun. A team with a perennial core set of players and or coaches that wins consecutive or almost or near consecutive championships. The modern baseball example I thought of, of course, is the New York Yankees. Someone wrote, see Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, them too. Modern baseball example I thought of, of course, is the New York Yankees. Uh, radio channel, I'm on 90.3 FM. So the New York Yankee dynasty, right? 1996, 1998, 1999. 2000, 2009 world champion New York Yankees had a core of Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, and Mariano Rivera. And through most of that, they had the same manager, Joe Torre. The Yankees also appeared, didn't win, but appeared in the 2001 and 3 World Series. So if you look at this, 96, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2003, 2009. They were in the World Series all of those years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in 13 years. I did the math correctly on that real quick. That is a dynasty. Yet they had a core set of players that appeared in all of those games. That is important and integral to the definition of sports dynasty. Let's look at a football. Football example, right? Someone said, see Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, Pittsburgh Steelers as well. But I thought of the New England Patriots. They were won the Super Bowl in 2002, 4, and 5. In those games, they had a core of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. 
The Patriots also appeared in, didn't win, but appeared in the Super Bowl in 2008 and 12. So let's look at this. Two, four, five, eight, and 12. One, two, three, four, five times in 10 years. The Patriots were in the Super Bowl with their core of Brady and Belichick. So they also fit my definition because they, they won or almost have won consecutive championships with a core set of players and or coaches. So I think, uh, I think that's a non-debatable fact. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers are also a dynasty. Anybody else have any other sports dynasties? Uh, NBA, NHL, you let me know. Uh, and, and Monday, tomorrow's, <laughs> Uncle Leo, I hate them, the Patriots. Yeah, well, you know, someone said also on Periscope, the Eagles will have a dynasty one day. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe. There's always hope, right? How about a Jets dynasty? <laughs> uh, okay, so Monday's question of the day at BackSportsPage.com was, are you interested in more sports reality type of shows like Hard Knocks? My opinion is there is no need for sports reality shows because in the sports world, reality is the action taking place on the field. You're watching the game, right? That's the reality, right? Are we, are we, I should have looked up the definition of reality. Reality is what's happening in front of you on a field. And in the storylines that emerge from the players and the teams and the leagues because of that play. Ironically, and you've seen this, even on sports reality shows, they do not reflect true life. Perfect example. I asked uh, uh, Brian Leonard about this. Because Brian Leonard, as you know, I had the pleasure of speaking with him probably a couple months ago, actually. He's the former NFL running back, okay? At this point in time, he was on the Cincinnati Bengals. They were featured on the fifth season of Hard Knocks. I asked him about, you know, his experience on that show. And, and one of the main storylines from season five, let me look back, season five, did I just say? Season five of Hard Knocks, Cincinnati Bengals. One of the main storylines of the season was Leonard's intense running back job competition with D.D. Dorsey, right? That was like the main storyline. And this is what Brian Leonard had to say about that. You were traded to the Bengals and featured on HBO Hard Knocks, and it was, the angle they took was like the really, the battle between you and, and the other guy. And what do you think, looking back to that, did you watch that show, and how did you think that they did in putting that together? I think they did a great job, but to be honest, I, I didn't watch it. I didn't really know there was a battle between me and D.D. Dorsey. Um, I thought, you know, the way I was playing in practice and the way I was doing preseason games, I thought, you know, I was you know, several locked to make team, I was doing well enough to, to make the team, and all of a sudden, the day before the last preseason game is when I watched my first episode of Hard Knocks, and I'm like, I'm in this huge competition with D.D. Dorsey, and I might not yeah. make the team, and like, and it just, I mean, it, it's crazy to watch that, like, shit, I mean, really, I, I got to really perform this last preseason game to make this team, and um, I had a great last preseason game, and actually both made the team, so it was, it was great for both of us. So why manipulate something that is not there for, uh, you know, for for viewing pleasure? I mean, come on. Someone said the San Antonio Spurs are the most quiet team in the NBA. Is that a dynasty, you mean, Joe? Dynasties start with management and end with coaches as players are all interchangeable. Okay. That's a good definition, too. We just talked about 
about the Patriots, plugging the Patriots into any system, any player, it'll work. So back to this. So why manipulate something that's not there? Reality shows have no place in sports because actually the reality is taking place on the field. There is no need to make up storylines and this and that. And you heard it. You heard it from an NFL player who was featured on a reality show entitled Hard Knocks. He didn't even know there was a, a, a battle, which was the main storyline of, of, the, of the entire season. He's in five of Hard Knocks. So no, there, there is no need for that. Please keep it out of, uh, of my viewing pleasure. And I think uh, a lot of you people uh, listening should uh, should agree with that and, and will agree with that. So if you want to follow me, uh, facebook.com slash coach, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Uh, Twitter, at coach, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. This is Noah Syndergaard, pitcher for the New York Mets. You're listening to 60 Minute Overtime on WRPR. Right, so this week's events that I had gone to uh, were, uh, you know, I'm busy. I'm a busy person here. So this week I went to the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center. They had a uh, program there in conjunction with uh, NYU's Tisch School, which is the sports school there. It was a panel discussion on youth sports featuring former Yankees first baseman Mark Teixeira, World Series winner, part of the dynasty, and uh, Giants tight end Howard Cross, also a Super Bowl winner. I mean, a Super Bowl winner in and of himself. So this event was, uh, I forget what night it was. I think it was uh, Wednesday night or Thursday night. I had gone and, and I watched in the, in the auditorium that they have there talking about, you know, youth sports and, and issues in youth sports. It's a great place to go to. I highly, highly suggest it. Uh, and, and it was a panel of six people, but I really wanted to focus on in my story on prosportsrundown.com, uh, Mark Teixeira and Howard Cross. I think they shined in the discussion. I wish it was more focused to them instead of everybody else on the panel. Uh, in, in terms of bullying and hazing, they said at the panel that, and I looked this up, it's true, 160,000, 160, 100,000 kids stay home from school to avoid being bullied. And unfortunately, it happens mostly in after-school activities, in unstructured time. Uh, Howard Cross... You know what he said? He said his kid, he kept his kid off the A-team until he got too big to stay down. His son, as he explained, is now 6'2 and weighs 220. But Cross said that you just teach him that it's important to enjoy the sport and to have fun and to be there for their teammates. Uh, Mark DeShera took the hard and fast route. He said, there should be a zero-tolerance policy with bullying. Kids are going to do dumb things. But what kids are looking for is structure. Show me the right thing to do. And if adults can teach their kids the right thing to do, the kids need to understand the boundaries and that there is no tolerance. The kids need to understand what that when the season starts, and they will follow the lead put forth by the coach. And he said conversely that if you have a group of kids and they don't know what's expected of them, of course bad things are going to happen. And in Major League Baseball, as you know, another current event is that in the new collective bargaining agreement in MLB, in the MLB, uh, the hazing, the rookie hazing, where they make them dress up in different costumes, and mostly it's in, in female costumes. Um, in the new collective bargaining agreement, they have outlawed that. So, you know, Mark Deshera was asked about that in in terms of, uh, you know, what he thinks about that. But he said uh, it wasn't mean-spirited. 
Oh no, he started with I, I, the outlaw of the hazing. He started with I think it's great. Honestly, I get bored of that stuff after two to three years. And he said I dressed up in a Hooters outfit and went through the Toronto airport. I enjoyed it, but you can go too far though. He said it wasn't mean spirited. There is not one player in the MLB saying, "Oh my God, I can't believe they got rid of it." No one cares that they got rid of it. Uh, in terms of what can parents do in youth sports? Oh my God, Mark Deshera, I love the line he said, and I think I want to use this myself. Uh, he said, if I'm not willing to coach the team, I'm not going to say anything. I say thank you to the coach after the game, even if he did a terrible job. Howard Cross put it more bluntly. He said, if your kids are playing sports, back off and please be quiet. <laughs> Parents, please just back off. And the success mindset, we talked about this a little bit. You know, do you know that only, let's look at football, 1.6% of the 73,000 college football athletes, 1.6% of them actually get to the NFL. Look at men's basketball, even less, 1.1%. Women's basketball is the least out of them all. Only 0.9% of the collegiate athletes make the big leagues. Ice hockey, 6.6%. Baseball, 9.7%. Men's soccer, one4 so, you know, you you got to stop pushing your kids to be the next Tom Brady. You know, there's only a 1.1% chance he's even going to make the NFL. And that's if he even makes it to play college ball. They just have to have fun. Howard Cross said it's okay for your kids not to make the team. You have to find the little things to make the kids happy. And, uh, you know, the most important thing, Mark Fisher said, the most important thing we can tell our kids is to work hard and do your best. If you give it everything you have, you work your hardest, and your natural talent will take you as far as you can go. But if the kid doesn't make the team, it's important that they find something else to do. I think that was an important line, too. A lot of times these kids will drop money. You'll spend a lot of money to get your kids to be in the next program and club programs and thousands of dollars here, and then they don't make the team again. Well, maybe it's just not for them, right? It might not just be for them. That's, uh, if you want to read the whole story that I wrote up, it's on prosportsrundown.com. Posted this on December 15th. So what was that? That was the night of the event, December 15th. And uh, continue to uh, look forward to joining more events at the Yogi Bear Museum Learning Center. Okay, so a continuation of the Mint Pros Team Italy Italian Baseball Family Launch Dinner at Carmine's and Sons in Brooklyn. Uh, I got to play you. I got two more interviews. Uh, the rest of them you can find on my YouTube page. Just go on YouTube.com. Look up Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. And that's, of course, if you cannot wait to watch uh, the rest of them. But first up, I'm going to play you my uh, interview with Chris Colabello. He's, uh, like I said before, going to be playing first base and maybe some outfield for Team Italy this year. I talked to him at length about a lot of different things. And I think he did the Italian speed round with me. So here's uh, myself, Danielle McCartan, interviewing Chris Colabello. Was this last week or, or two weeks ago in uh, Carmine and Sons at Pizzeria in Brooklyn at a Mint Pros event uh, for the Italian-American baseball family. It was a launch dinner. Uh, it was a great event. So here's me, Danielle McCartan, and Chris Colabello. Danielle McCartan here in uh, Brooklyn with Chris Colabello at the Italian-American baseball launch party. Um, Chris what is the impact of having an event like this on, you know, for you guys and for the fans for Team Italy? I think anytime you can 
you can build up Italian baseball, it's uh, it's a good thing. Um, we're, uh, I think we're really proud as Italians about uh, the way the game has kind of come along in Italy, uh, especially a lot of the, the Italian-American guys. You know, for me in particular, it means a lot. My dad played over in Italy for a long time, and obviously to get to experience the Classic in 2013 for the first time. So uh, anytime we can bring some awareness to, to Italian baseball, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. How proud of you, AC? Sometimes. I mean, <laughs> uh, it depends. If I got hits that day, I was proud. No, I'm just kidding. He's, uh, it's really cool. I mean, I, from when I was a little kid, I always wanted to wear an Italian jersey at the professional level because I knew my dad did it for such a long time. So... Um, it's a really cool thing to be able to share with them. Um, I think when everything's said and done, I'll, I'll get the real uh, the real talk from him about how proud he is. Now, to uh, <clears throat> how does the team look for the World Baseball Classic 2017? I know you guys are in a tough bracket. What do you think? I mean, uh, you know, uh, people want to count us out no matter what. Uh, we're going to have some good players again. Uh, you know, obviously the guys that are here, uh, Drew Butera, Francisco Cervelli, catching. Um, you know, go around the field. I think Johnny Giappatello is going to play. Um, hopefully, Mike Napoli plays. And um, you know, uh, I'm sure I'm I'm leaving a bunch of guys out, but uh, we're certainly going to have some really good players. And I think the the thing about Italian baseball and what Marco brings as a manager is uh, is the way we the way we go about it. Uh, at the last classic, we, we really came together in a short period of time. So. Uh, I don't doubt that'll happen again, and uh, I know it's a tough bracket, but it was a tough bracket last time we did it. So what is it going to be like to be playing with uh, Jason Grilli, your teammate in Toronto, on the Italian baseball team? Yeah, you know, Grill was, uh, he's a trip. Like, that guy, he's, <laughs> he's a special guy. Um, you know, been through a lot in the game and uh, taught me a lot in a short period of time. So um, anytime you can be around him, it's a cool feeling. He makes teams better. Yeah, now, um, what influence? You grew up in Italy, is that true? Yeah, I, I was kind of back and forth when I was a kid. Um, early years, like elementary school, like a couple of years there, a couple of years here, back and forth. And never played soccer? I tried. I wasn't very good. Yeah, no. My friends would, like, kind of force-feed it on me. Um, and then I realized I needed to stick to baseball. I always tried to peer pressure them into playing baseball instead yeah. of soccer. So what influence did that have growing up in Italy on your baseball career? Well, I think I get to get a pretty good feel of of how special the game is over there. I think it's uh, it's certainly not at the level of soccer and, and maybe even basketball, but uh, in the 70s and 80s when my dad was playing, it was really big. Um, I think it tailed off a little bit just because, you know, Europe wasn't in the, in the best financial situation over the last 10, 10 or so years, but... Uh, I, you know, I'm so proud of the job that uh, Marco and the rest of the people have done with the national team and growing the baseball academy over there. Um, there are a lot of kids that I think love the game. So uh, if we can promote it a little more and maybe get uh, get some of the bigger cities over there involved, I think it uh, it can get back to where it used to be. Now, one of your old, uh, former managers said Colabella would invite teammates to his parents' house for dinner and would help clean the dugout after games. I mean, that speaks volumes to your character. <laughs> Well, or is it just an Italian-American thing? No, I mean, I, I, I'm big on relationships. Like, I, I, I think the guys you end up playing baseball with become like your family. Um, 
chemistry to me is like a really big thing, and anything I can do to help that, I think is uh, is really cool and really special. Because anytime you can get a little closer to somebody or make them feel a little bit better about something that's going on in their lives, I think it's going to bring out the best in them. So. Uh, the picking up the dugout thing was a thing I got from Rich Kedman. Uh, he was my manager for six years this is when I was in Indy Ball, and uh, we'd get done the games, and this guy was playing the big leagues 13 years, and he'd be picking up cups in the dugout. And I'm, like in my first year in Indy Ball, I'm watching him do it. I'm like, well, he played 13 years in the big leagues. I better pick up the cups too. And uh, it's just kind of one of those things that if you make the mess, you should be the one to clean it. And, you know, other guys would be like, well, there's somebody that's going to do that after. And I'd say, well, it doesn't hurt to make their job a little bit easier. So um, I don't know if it speaks to my character. But. What about Dak Prescott? So much was, was made of him picking up his Gatorade. Yeah, I mean, a young kid in the league. He's doing really well. It's, uh, you know, I think nothing – there isn't a point where you get to in life where you, like, as an athlete where – it should ever prevent you from being a good person or taking responsibility or accountability for what you do. So, right. Now, Mike Piazza, last question here. Mike Piazza was uh, your coach at uh, the World Baseball Classic in the last time around. What advice has he imparted on to you? Uh, funny Mike Piazza story as a hitting coach. Uh, so we're playing one of the exhibition games, playing Oakland at their spring training facility. And Mike and I had had a conversation like right before the game. I said, hey, man, you're a big guy. All you got to do is tap it. I'm like, all right, it's good advice. So I'm, I'm on deck, and I'm getting ready to go hit. Looks at me. I kind of make eye contact with him. He goes, hey, just tap it. Sure enough, I went up, and I hit a homer, and I came in. I was like, good advice. So, no, he's uh, he's great. Mike's uh, wealth of knowledge in the game. Obviously, his resume speaks for itself. Uh, so happy for him that he, he got inducted to the Hall of Fame. He's uh you know, probably the best hitting catcher to ever play the game of baseball, and I think that might hold true for a long, long time. So uh, anytime you can be around a guy like that, uh, he's going to impart some knowledge, and uh, you're a fool if you don't listen. Um, and di dove è la tua famiglia? La mia famiglia è di Rimini. Rimini? Rimini. Ho studiato in Urbino. Ok, brava, brava. Parli bene italiano. Così, così. E manchi alcuni aspetti d'Italia? Mi mancano tutti gli aspetti dell'Italia, la vita rilassata, il mangiare, il mare e gli amici. Now, uh, I'm not going to let you go without uh, a little test here. Okay. Would you rather Italian karaoke, an Italian lesson, or an Italian speed round? Speed round. Okay. Is it sauce or gravy? Sauce. Would you rather ski in the Alps or swim in the Mediterranean? Or, in your case, the Adriatic? Yeah, swim. Swim okay. every time. Favorite Italian tradition? Family dinners, like gatherings. Uh, domenica? Every night. Okay. Tutti giorni. <laughs> gusto di gelato? Nocciola. Tipo di pasta? Farfalle. No, strozzapreti. Okay. And uh, Rimini, ovviamente, la città. Ferrari, Maserati o Lamborghini? Tutte e tre. <laughs> or, eh, finalmente, vino rosso o vino bianco? Non bevo abbastanza. Bianco, bianco. Bianco, anch'io bianco. Ok, sono Daniela McCartan con uh, Chris Colabello, Toronto Blue Jays. Grazie, e, uh, auguri e una buona fortuna. Mille grazie. <laughs> grazie. 
All right, so <clears throat> so that's that. And up next is going to be my interview with Francisco Cervelli, former Yankee. Obviously, you guys know him. He was part of the dynasty here. That no, not really, but the 2009 team with the core four and things like that. So this is myself, Daniel McCartan, and Francisco Cervelli, who will be catching for Team Italy this year from the same event. You know, it, it, it's not a secret. All the Italian family, they're very close, so we try to make uh, good things happen, you know. Now, why is it important for you to play for Team Italy? You have, you have a Venezuelan background, too. You picked Team Italy. Why? Well, it, it, I played with Italy in 2009. Um, they make me, they gave me opportunity when I was uh, a minor leaguer, and, um, and uh, you know, I, I, I just love that year, and then I feel like I want to do it again. Now, you're playing against your, your Venezuelan team in, in your bracket. What do you think for the 2017, uh, you know, this, the tournament this year? It's going to be it's gonna be very hard. Uh, you know, the Venezuelan team, they call me, but I think, uh, you know, they give me the chance, and, and I, I want to be here again. But it's, it's going to be a crazy competition, but always good. Yeah, now, hey, uh, born in Venezuela, right? Your, but your last name is uh, Brains in Italian, Cervelli. Yeah. Uh, how have you embraced your heritage, both of them? Excuse me? Okay. How have you embraced your heritage, your Italian and Venezuelan sides? Well, you know, I, I think it's a great mix. Uh, Venezuela is, uh, it, it, it's, it's, I, I really love it. everything that, that I got. Um, my mom is from there. Uh, but also my whole Italian family is in Venezuela, so I got two different cultures, and it, it's really special. Now, this year the Pirates are giving out uh, uh, Francisco Cervelli, that's a more a bobblehead doll. Can I get one of those? Could you send me one of those? Yeah, 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 sure. What is it's, that going to be like for you? That's it's a so particular cool. bobblehead with a rope and a flat and a rose and everything. And it sings. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I, I, I want one of those. All right, so the thoughts on the, on the Pirates for 2017 moving forward? Well, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. You know, they... they trying to put a lot of pieces together. It's, it's not my job. My job is to go there and play baseball, but it's really good organization. They really care about players. Uh, we got a family. Uh, the guys are amazing, so I feel like home. Now, you had a front row seat to the core four. What was it like watching it from you as the, the backup to Posada? What was it like watching that all unfold in the Bronx not long ago? Well, you know, I, I was talking to Jorge the other day, and and I and I, I asked him, you gotta teach me more things because I wanna keep learning because you was one of my idols. It was impressive the way those four guys take care of business. Uh, they were professionals and then they they knew how to win. That that was the that impressive thing for me. Now I, I, when I was going to games I saw you were very close with Alex Rodriguez. Do you still talk with him and what does he what has he taught you? Well he uh, I, I he teach me so many things about baseball. Uh, this guy is, is, is one of the, the, the guys that I, it's impressive how, how many things he knows about little details, mental game. Uh, I don't have the, uh, the, the chance to talk to him anymore, but uh, it, it was a big part of my career. Uh, I heard you're a big Juventus fan, I read that. Uh, what do you think, I have a question, a fan question. What do you think about the purchase of Higuain from Napoli for Juventus? It was good. It, it, it was great. He's a great player, uh, good striker, but you can have Messi in your team, but if the other guys, they don't do the job, it's not going to be good. Now, do you think they have a shot at winning the Champions League this oh, year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If he, 
If they get healthy, it's gonna happen. All right, now before I let you go, you're gonna have your pick of Italian karaoke, Italian speed round, or an Italian baseball lesson. Oh, Italian karaoke. Karaoke? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> All right. Got it right here. Might be a little tough to hear, but I'll, I'll put it loud. All right, we'll do two or three songs. Let's do, I think you would like this one. <laughs> all right, that was all right. All right, how about, do you know Volare? Yeah. Okay. But I need, I, I need to see the letter. Oh. You, you got me here. You got me. Oh, oh this one. Oh, so let me. Oh, so let me. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm impressed. All right, I'm Danielle McCartan. That's Francisco Cervelli. Thank you, and good luck this Thank uh, tournament. You. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Great job. You're the only one to pick karaoke, by the way. <laughs> great to see you. All right. Thank you so much. All right, so I'm going to tweet this to you, but here's my card in the meantime. Okay. Okay? Thank you. So that was kind of cool. I got Francisco Cervelli singing karaoke, uh, which was uh, quite a uh, an experience. He's pretty good, right? Don't you think he's pretty good? I thought he was pretty good. Uh, so that was that. I, I still have more from that. I don't want to bore you guys with all of them, but uh, next week I'll have two more up for you for that. Uh, so if you can't wait, like I said, go on to YouTube.com, type in Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. You'll find them all there. I promise you, you'll find them there. Muhammad Wilkerson, you're listening to 60 Minute Overtime on 90.3 FM. Alright, so as you may or may not know, the New York Jets played on something called Saturday Night Football this week. Last night, they played at home against the Miami Dolphins, and the Jets lost with a score of 34-13. So the first half, which I uh, I didn't really get to see much, I saw pretty much the last two minutes of the first half and then the third quarter, and then by then it was uh, bedtime, but... First half, the Jets uh, the, the Jets scored on their first opening drive for the first time in, in week one. I'm sorry, for the first time since week one with a 40-yard touchdown pass from Petty to Anderson. So it was uh, promising, it looked like, for a little while. Um, the Jets held Dolphins running back Jay Ajay to 19 yards total in the first half. That, I think, was pretty cool because I thought – my own opinion that J.H.I. was going to kill the Jets last night, but in fact, he really didn't. We'll get into that in a minute. But, you know, at the <clears throat> at the half, Coach Todd Bowles said his quote was, Petty is keeping us in this game. End quote. Uh, Quincy and Nunma, bunch of drops. Even at this point in time, Quincy and Nunma dropped the ball, hit them right in their numbers, led to directly to a block punt return for a touchdown, I believe. Miami was up 20-10. to 10. And the second half got real ugly, real fast. Uh, the Dolphins scored 21 points in the third quarter. They made some great halftime adjustments. You got to give it to them. Uh, botch punt was a disaster, and uh, I thought the Jets would, would get beat on the run, like I just said. But who would have thought that the second-string quarterback Matt Moore would beat them? Matt Moore. Let me read you his stats. 
he was 12, he finished the night 12 for 18, right? 12 for 18, uh, 236 yards, and four touchdowns. Four touchdowns. If you had him on your fantasy team, he's going to do probably better than Tom Brady. He connected on almost 70% of his passes. Threw 236 yards and four touchdown passes. That's incredible. He's a second string, second string quarterback. Which tells me, and tells anybody watching that game, that the Jets secondary was just non-existent. They were just non-existent. Not there, not playing. Where was Darrell Revis? Where was... Buster Scheme was out, but big deal. I mean, where were these guys? So my wish list moving forward is that the Jets stick with Petty. I think, uh, and, and he didn't play the best, obviously. he had. I think there was two interceptions and a forced fumble. But I think that he needs to, they, they you know, Chan Gailey was touted as one of the, the solutions to the Jets' problems coming in this season, whatever, but Chan Gailey... I'm no offensive coordinator, but, you know, we know that that Bryce Petty likes to throw the, the vertical roots, the deep vertical roots, right? We know that. He was intercepted on, I think, at least one, maybe two of them. It's predictable. It's so predictable. I doubt that he can't throw a slant route. So, you know, you got to work in some other place to your game plan, dude. I mean... The, the, the vertical routes, the, the go routes, are just not working. I mean, once or twice, of course. And I think that was what probably, I didn't watch it, but that's probably the route that Anderson ran uh, for the 40-yard touchdown pass. I, I can almost put money on it. Um, but you you got to mix it up. You got to mix it up. You got to run some slant routes and play action, get the running game involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Bilal Powell was one of the best uh, points for the Jets that game. So... You know, my wish list is for Chan Gailey to get with the program and to change up some of the routes that, that they're running for Bryce Petty. You got to fit him. You got to fit his game plan. Next is my, my other thing I have with Petty should look for Brandon Marshall more. Brandon Marshall. Because Marshall last night finished with one reception for 16 yards total. 16 yards total. Brandon Marshall is one of the, the deadliest weapons of of the Jets' offense. Of course, that he dropped a couple. Of course he drops a couple. I mean, that's probably his, his weak part, I would think. It's the weakest part of his game. But, I mean, the guy gets open. you got to give him the ball. Please, you just got to give him the ball. He has one reception in a game. It's unacceptable. Yet you're looking for Robbie Anderson, young drafted agent. Don't get me wrong. He's an okay player. But when you have... Brandon Marshall on your team. You gotta you gotta utilize him. You have to utilize him. You have to get him involved. And my third wish list for the Jets, please do not select yet another quarterback in the NFL draft. We don't need another quarterback. We don't need another one. If you look at what the Cowboys have done, and I have a Cowboy fan here right on, on Periscope, a perfect segue here. If you look at what the Cowboys have done, the Cowboys have built an offensive line that is allowing two rookies, your quarterback, Dak Prescott, 
and your running back Ezekiel Elliott to flourish. That is a wall. There is limited penetration on the, the Cowboys' offensive line. So if, if the Jets could just take a page out of that book, I mean, you if you were watching that game, and I only watch it for like one quarter or so, Bryce Petty got knocked around last night. The offensive line for the Jets was basically non-existent last night. In, in addition to the secondary, the offensive line, it was like, like they moved out of the way because they didn't want to get hit, and then they let the guys go right through. Okay? So if you look at what the Cowboys have done, I think the Jets need to go after something like that in the draft. Build up the offensive line. I've said that even last year. They drafted Hackenberg. I mean, the guy hasn't even suited up, for, I don't think, for one game this season. What was the point of that move? Unless you, you draft a quarterback and you trade him up, you know, you trade up for, for something better in, in terms of what you need. I think the Jets are out of touch with what they need in a draft. And, and I just want to point out this one play. Bryce Petty snaps the ball. This is the third quarter because it's the only quarter I watch. But he snapped the ball and not one offensive lineman moved. Okay? Not one guy moved. And Bryce Petty got crushed. And I mean crushed. By defensive ends, Wake and Sue. I mean, those are the two most fearsome guys probably in the league, you would think. Definitely Sue. But it was a clean hit. It makes me wonder if Brady or Rodgers, you know, the golden boys in the NFL, would have gotten a call like that. Although it was a clean, you think they would have got flat, you know, they would have got flagged for unnecessary roughness on the quarterback. I think they would have. I mean, Sue lifted Petty off the ground, though. Lifted him off the ground, and the other guy came in awake and just crushed him. I mean, he was down, he came out, um, and Fitzpatrick was put back in, I think, for the rest of the game. But uh, Bowles was asked why the Jets' offensive line didn't move on that play, or if it was a botched snap count, or et cetera, or whatever. He said, it was a bust in there as far as I, from the call and the snap count, end quote. <laughs> so, I mean, come on, like, wake up. Like, people are getting hurt out there. So, in the post game, Petty says, I mean, uh, uh, after saying Petty was keeping us in the game, Bull says, quote, this is, you know, in the third quarter, like so, so what? What opinion had had Bowles changed? He changed his mind from Petty is keeping us in the game to Petty didn't play well enough for us to win. He made too many mistakes. He wasn't the only one. We had a lot of help. We didn't play very well. End quote. So which is it? Was he keeping you in the game, or did he lose the game for you in the course of one quarter, not even a full quarter? And I'd just like to point out, for the record, that the last play of the game to the end zone. I mean, there was no hope at this point, but the last play of the game, fourth down. Brian Fitzpatrick throws an interception in the back of the end zone. Fitting. I believe that's fitting. Uh, there are people, Jets Twitter is all abuzz with that they, they need to draft a quarterback. I don't think they do. They need to develop what they have. Maybe bring in a really cheap veteran that's going to mentor these guys. We haven't even seen Hackenberg in a real game. We haven't even seen him in pads yet, I don't think. Except for the preseason. So, in my opinion, forget the quarterback. Forget the quarterback. You need something else. And we'll get into this in another week or so on, on uh, once the season ends. So, Bilal Powell was the only uh, bright spot for the Jets. 
in uh, in the game last night. The guy's explosive. He's playing like he wants to be back next year. And I was on here on this air, and you can probably go back and find it if you really are so inclined. I just don't know why the Jets got Matt Forte to begin with. I always thought Bilal Pell was the better back. Always. So this guy, hopefully, you know, will be back next year and playing like he does. Someone said, I would love to ha have Hack come in. Let's see what he does. I mean, at this point, this is this is the time where you can do that. Put him in. So, you know, the bright spot was Bilal Powell. He's playing like he, he wants to be back next year, as he should be back next year. He should be the starting back next year. He should be. And he's playing like it. The team, it's, it's everything seems so lackadaisical with these guys. You know, he's been the bright spot. Now, the Dolphins remain the projected sixth seed in the playoffs this year. Um, and, uh, and, and that's that. So the Dolphins are a playoff team. The Jets are a hapless team. What else is new? Jonathan Hankins from the New York Giants. You're listening to 60 Minutes Overtime on 90.3 FM. Now you just heard from Jonathan Hankins. The Detroit Lions are taking on the New York Giants in New Jersey. Okay, they're going to be on at 1 p.m. at MetLife Stadium in, uh, on Fox, as I mentioned before. So it's about 45 minutes away to kick off. Now the storylines, the main storylines of this game is that the Lions can clinch the NFC North with a win and a Packers loss or a tie. Let me just say that again. The Lions can clinch the NFC North with a win and a Packers loss or tie. Probably loss. So we'll go with that. Um, the Giants, this is a little more convoluted. Let's just, let me break this down for you. The Giants can clinch a playoff berth with a win, a Redskins loss, a Vikings loss or tie, and a Packers loss or tie. So in this game, whether you're a Lions or a Giants fan, you're rooting for the Packers to lose. That's that's it. So one more time. The Giants can clinch a playoff berth with a win, a Vikings loss, and a Packers loss or tie. So I'm just tweeting out Giants and Lions preview right now. Uh, if you guys want to call in, it's 201-825-1234. And uh, here's how I see this game shaping up today. So the Giants' keys to victory is going to, number one, you have to put pressure on Lions quarterback Matt Stafford. He got injured last week. So um, um, someone just said my brother's old roommate from college was Matt Stafford. What? Um, so the Giants need to put pressure on him. Okay, Stafford plans to play through his injured finger. There have been many, many uh, reports of everybody uh, looking at him in, in preseason warm-ups. Basically, what this is, is the Giants need to capitalize on him. It's going to be a sloppy game. This is going to be a very sloppy game. He has an injured middle finger, and it's not just injured. Oh, look, Michael Floyd expected to face multi-game suspension. Thank you. That was breaking news from ESPN. Thank you, NFL. Multi-game suspension. Let's, inf let's do it now. Let's do it so we can't play with Patriots. And we should take away their compensatory draft pick while we're at it. He's a sports editor for New York Post. Hey, put me in touch with him. Send me a message at Coach uh, McCartan on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I'd love to, uh, love to pick his brain at least and talk to him for, for a possible career in that. So please, forward me everything. I, not on here because it's going to disappear. So just somewhere else. You can uh, Facebook or, or Twitter me, tweet me. So, 
Uh, but Stafford plays, plans to play through his injured middle finger. Not, and it's not just injured, everybody. It's a torn tendon. Um, it's torn ligaments. And it's dislocated. That occurred last week in their last-minute victory over the Bears. Uh, Stafford is going to wear a glove to protect his finger. The, the Giants should try and take full advantage of that by bringing pressure. Although Stafford is, uh, I think they said on the radio on the way in, uh, he throws uh, with 66% accuracy against uh, the Blitz. Um, and uh, the Giants, uh, the Lions offensive line has allowed 30 sacks this year, 12th most in the NFL. So you got to look for the Giants to bring the heat against the Lions and the, and the injured Stafford. So, um, you know, in terms of, of the game plan for the Giants, you go after them, you clog up the middle, you throw away the dumpy passes, the screen passes, and this and that. You clean that up. You force this guy to throw the ball deep with an injured uh, middle finger on his, I think, believe it's his throwing hand. You force him to throw deep. This game is a lock. I mean, it's says sloppy conditions. It's uh, The last I looked, it was foggy, rainy, drizzly outside, about 55 degrees. Wind is going to be a factor in the Giants game today. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so number two, you got to force the Lions to create more turnovers, and that's how you do it. The Giants have turned the ball over 40, uh, 24 times this season. Six of them occurred on the last three games. The Lions have only turned the ball over 10 times in total this season. And Stafford is having one of the best seasons of his career, ML, uh, MVP candidate. Um, he's completing 66.7 of his passes. He's got a quarterback rating of 97.8, which is incredible. MVP numbers. MVP numbers for Matt Stafford. The only Achilles heel is going to be his finger today. And in many of the Giants games this season, the final outcome has come down to one touchdown or less. Same with the Lions. The Giants also, you know, the last two meetings with the Cowboys, you know, last minute. But the Lions, too. The, these guys are, are playing in, in high-pressure situations. And turnovers and the limiting, the limiting of the turnovers are going to be critical in this game. The Giants need to force Stafford and his Lions to give out the ball and to throw the ball deep. Because if they do do that, they got Denoris Jenkins on one side, Eli Apple on the other side. I'm confident in that. And never mind the fact that you have Landon Collins. Landon Collins is, is going to be flying all over that field. So if, if the Giants are able to take away the short game of the Lions, it's going to be a very long day for them. You heard it here. Okay, so and then finally, the Giants need to establish the run. I don't know what they're doing in practice to do that, but it's got to change. It's still one of the worst in the league. After Shane Vereen's absence from a majority of last week's game versus the Cowboys, he was in the concussion protocol, He's still questionable versus the Lions this week, and I'm sure someone has checked the inactives because I can't do that right now. But um, if Shane Vereen is playing today, he's gotta he's gotta fill in the missing puzzle piece for the Giants because the Giants are 31st in the rushing attack as of this week out of 32 teams. And the Lions also have a tough run defense; they only allow 97 yards per game. So this game is gonna fall onto Eli Manning's shoulders definitely, and Shane Vereen just needs to be able to, or whoever the running back is, is just to be able to give the Giants just another option, another look, make it a two-faceted game. Because it can't just be all pass. Because if it becomes all pass, the Giants are in trouble. If it's all pass, the Giants are in trouble. Um, so it needs to establish some sort of a semblance of a running game. Uh, also notable, listen, the Giants need to target Victor Cruz more. This year, he's uh, Eli Manning has targeted Ob Odell Beckham Jr., 132 times, and that's like Antonio Brown numbers. Sterling Shepard then 84 times. And Victor Cruz only 53 times. So you got to imagine that, that Cruz is going to be double teamed today, right? So imagine 
a breakout game by Victor Cruz today. All the attention is on Odell Beckham. And as a, as a defensive coordinator for the Lions, I would put my attention on him too. Eli targets him 132 times so far this season. Of course you want to shut him down. But the other guys have to step up. And Shepard, I think, will. Eli loves Sterling Shepard in the, in the red zone. But Victor Cruz, only 53 targets this season. It's inexplicable. Inexplicable. They have to get him involved in this offense. They have to. They have to make him a threat. Even if he he doesn't catch the ball, and, and you just have to make him a factor. You just have to take the attention a little bit off the other guys that you're, that you're targeting more. So the Detroit Lions' keys to victory. Number one, free, safe, free safety, Glover Quinn. He needs to stay consistent. Quinn will be Manning's number one enemy on Sunday on today's game. So the entire season, he's only allowed six passing plays or 40 or more yards. He's going to be a critical part to the Lions' defense, especially if they want to stop the explosive Odell Beckham Jr. and minimize the Giants' big plays between their three, big three, Beckham, Cruz, and Shepard. Okay, they have to have, the Lions also have to have an effective run game despite the injuries. Theo Riddick, someone already mentioned him, Theo Riddick is not expected to play, unless that's changed, he is not expected to play for the second straight week with a wrist injury. Zach Zenner has been working his way back from a brain injury. This guy, Dwayne Washington, is a seventh-round pick. He's a rookie. He's only got 212 yards on the season and one touchdown. That spells a little cause for concern if I'm the Lions offensive coordinator because of the fact that his finger is injured. Stafford's finger is really hurt. So if they can't, uh, you know, if they, if they can't get a running game going, it's also going to be a long day. Uh, Chris, I'm not sure if that's you that just followed me on Twitter. C-G-D-A-T-136, is that you? Um, so finally, and it's, it's finally, this is going to be the biggest factor for me, I think, in this game are going to be the weather issues. The, the Lions have yet to lose a game by more than seven points, and they can give their special teams credit for that. Their kicker, Matt Prater, he was named November's special teams player of the month. He's third in the league in points scored. Okay, for a kicker, you know, out of all the kickers. Punter Sam Martin, he's, he's second in the league in net punting average yards. But you have to remember this. This is, to me, it's a little skewed. The Lions play in a dome, which obviously helps their consistency and their accuracy in, re in reference to kicks, punts, field goals, even extra points now that it's been moved back. So at 1 p.m. on Sunday here in New Jersey, it's expected to be 55 degrees, 80% chance of rain, and sustained winds at 14 to 17 miles an hour. And it's been well documented throughout history at, at the old Giant Stadium and at MetLife Stadium that, um, that the winds are major factors in these games. And with sustained winds of 14 to 17 miles an hour, you don't get that in the dome. You don't get that in the dome. I'm sorry. So, you know, I think... That, you know, everybody's expecting this game to come down to the last possession. I'm going to go on here and say it. If it comes down to a field goal, the Lions kicker, Matt Prater, he's got to miss it. He's got to miss the field goal. So, in, in reference to, um, you know, kicking in domes, I had asked, um, what's his name, Nick Folk. He's a kicker for the New York Jets. 
I went to a thing with him, and I asked him about if if having kickers in a dome, what is what is the advantage? He's he's obviously the Jets uh, kicker, field goal kicker, extra point kicker. You know, so speaking of advantages, is there an advantage for a dome kicker versus an outside kicker? Of course, the answer is yes. But here here's what he said. Do you think the dome teams or the have a special advantage over like a stadium kicker? I, I agree at that, that point, yeah. I yeah. think like let's say for example we play Buffalo last game of the season. Us and Houston are battling to get in the playoffs. Obviously they have the tiebreaker over us, but let's say they did the wins and losses. But if I don't know if they play at home, but let's say they play at home last game of the season, <clears throat> their kicker can make all their extra points easier theoretically than kicking in Buffalo right. at Wembley Stadium right. for a thirty-third extra point. So, yeah, they do have an advantage. So that's uh, Jets kicker Nick Folk last year, at this time, at the end of last season. You know, he's talking about the playoffs. Obviously, it's not this year. But um, so, you know, you heard him from the NFL kicker's point of view talking about kicking in the elements and kicking in a dome. And it's just, I think he used the word advantageous. It was a, It's an advantage. So, you know, Matt Prater, I got his name circled on my paper here. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's going to get the job done. Okay, so combine. This is a nice stat I heard this morning. Combined, Eli Manning and Matt Stafford are 16-6 and six when losing in the fourth quarter. So, you know, combined together. So this is going to be a game that's going to come down to the final play. We know that. Um, my score prediction, and I know Joe Skiba, you were asking about my score prediction. My score prediction, I think the Giants are going to pull this one out. Uh, I, I think that it's going to be, let's see. I'm going to say 24 21 Giants win on a Matt Prater missed field goal. Ooh, bold prediction. 24 21 Giants over the Lions. Matt Prater is going to miss a field goal. And the Giants are going to win. Lock it in. All right. If, uh, one of the last things I want to talk about is my lock of the week this week. Actually, uh, I'm not watching any games closely, closely this Sunday because. My lock of the week was the Thursday night football game, and I hate picking these games because, as I've mentioned on here before, I can never stay up and watch the end of it. But I had gone to bed, and I think it was 14-3, to the LA Rams. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are beating the LA Rams 14-3, to I believe, at halftime when I turned the TV off. So uh, the final score of that game was 24-3. to Seahawks win. I mean, I picked the Seahawks because they, they were playing at home. The Seahawks are virtually unbeatable when they're playing at home. Uh, they won 24-3. to They clinched the NFC West and a playoff berth in the process, obviously. Uh, Russell Wilson was incredible. He was 19 for 26, 229 yards, and three touchdowns. However, still not Matt Moore numbers, but, you know, good, though. Uh, rookie quarterback for the Rams, Jared Goff, was he was injured in the game. He uh, went 13 for 25 with only 135 yards. And I'm just going to pull up Russell Wilson's post-game interview with the NFL Network. Well, they were tough again tonight. And once again, I mean, their defensive line is unbelievable. Uh, all those guys up front. Um, but off the off offensive line really came through. Made, we had made some big, big plays. Guys, Thomas ran the ball really hard. Um, we weren't constantly getting big yards, but when we did, it was it was, it was a key moments. And uh, guys made great play plays. Luke Wilson's touchdown. Uh, some other guys made some great catches. Doug Baldwin's touchdown in the corner. The entire lot here running down, uh, down the sideline on that go ball. That was unbelievable. So, not a lot of great, great plays. The defense played lights out. You got to give credit to the guys. It was a great game, great enthusiasm. And obviously to win the NFC West is not an easy challenge. And to do it here at home uh, doesn't get any better. There you go. So 
to do it here at home doesn't get any better. They are unstoppable at home. The, the 12th man, the, the whole nine yards. No pun intended on that one. Um, but, you know, I'm still in. I'm still in for uh, my pool. It's the CBS pool. I put $0 in. I'm still in for the 500 And hopefully by the next time we talk, I'll have won the $500. I don't really know uh, what the process is going to be. If it's more than one pe person is, like, tied at the end, I'm not really sure how they're going to play that. Um, but, hey, I would still be in for the $5,000 prize. And I've, I've said this on here. I've, I would still be in the $5,000 prize if it wasn't for the uh, the Falcons kicker missing in a dome. How's that, huh? So uh, that that's what I got for today. Uh, we have we covered a lot, a lot of topics today. We covered the fact that um, the National Olympic Committee is finally recognizing cheerleading as a sport. It could be a, an Olympic sport within three years. Why, when head coaches get fired, the GMs are kept? Why is that? Um, that's in reference to Rex Ryan and, of course, Tom Coughlin. Uh, Patriots Michael Floyd and the Arizona Cardinals, how, how, he, how they claimed him after his DUI experience, and, you know, that's well documented uh, from before. And is the NFL doing anything to help these guys with their issues? Hot Topics of the Day brought to you by BackSportsPage.com. We talked about should student-athletes receive compensation during their respective seasons. That was a great topic for people on Periscope or fighting with each other. Um, do off the field and off the court issues gain too much attention was uh, the second question. Next was what is considered a sports dynasty in today's world? Uh, then, uh, we wrapped up with a preview of tomorrow's back sports page question, which is, are you interested in more sports reality type shows like hard knocks? And I had included in that, uh, my interview with Brian Leonard running back for the Bengals when they were on hard knocks and, uh, his commentary on that this week's events. I talked about when I went to the Yogi Berra museum. Uh, and my team Italy event, uh, and I also played for you. We heard from Chris Colabello, Toronto Blue Jays first baseman and outfielder, and Francisco Cervelli, the Pittsburgh Pirates catcher. Also, the Jets played on Saturday Night Football. My analysis, my thoughts, my wish list for the Jets moving forward uh, and for this year and for next year. Um, and finally, my New York Giants, well, Detroit Lions at New York Giants, Keys to victory for both teams, Giants and Lions, and that's going to be kicking off in exactly 30 minutes from now at 1 p.m. from the Meadowlands. And I got both the Giants and Lions keys to victory. My final score prediction is going to be Giants beat the Lions 24-21. And uh, my lock of the week this week was, of course, the Seattle Seahawks over the Rams. I'm still in my pool. So uh, I have, I guess, bad news to break to you guys. Uh, I think I mentioned it at the top of the hour, uh, you know, when we started, that this is the last episode of 2016. Obviously, as you know, Christmas and New Year's are both on Sundays this year. So I'm going to have a two-week little break, a two-week little hiatus, and then I'll be back January 8th. So uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever else you celebrate. And, uh, you know, since they're both on Sundays, I'm going to have a little break. Um, but my next show will be on Sunday. January 8th, put it in the calendar, Sunday, January 8th, 11 a.m. If you can't wait, I'm definitely going to be producing a lot of content over the next two weeks. Please, you can find my work on YouTube, search Coach Space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, SoundCloud as well, slash Coach McCartan, iTunes Podcast, just type in on the iStore, uh, whatever it's called, iTunes Story, type in Coach Space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, tune in radio if you have that app on your phone there too. Uh, but I really want to be working on more articles, more writing. 
those are those stories are going to be on prosportsrundown.com. Obviously, you're on. Check me out on Twitter right now at Coach McCartan, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, and also on Periscope at Coach McCartan. That's going to wrap it up. So I will see you guys on January 8th, uh, bright and early, 11 a.m. January 8th. Playoff pitchers will probably be set by that point. And uh, I'd love to talk some playoff football with you guys. So uh, that's that. You've been rocking with me on 60-Minute Overtime. I'm Danielle McCartan. See you guys on January 8th. Follow me on Twitter, at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search, with no spaces, Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.